Well, I am Pastor Tim, the executive pastor, and I know you didn't expect to see me up here this morning. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. I do want you to know, though, that we believe in miracles, do we not? Michael Lopes just handed me this piece of paper, and it is nothing short of a miracle. And you ought to be praising the Lord this morning because our God is good. Let me read it to you. We are opening up the exterior bathrooms now. <laughs> if you are a part of Grace Community Church, you know what a nightmare that has been. We're so excited. If you go use that bathroom this morning, we're serving coffee and cinnamon rolls in the bathroom. <laughs> That's not true. I digress. Corey prayed for uh, Shelly, Venema, and John, and you all, I think some of you, most of you know what's going on with them, but let me update you. Shelly was diagnosed with colon cancer. I am up here this morning because she was scheduled for surgery in LA tomorrow. And so we found that out. I think that was planned early this last week. And then on Friday, um, they got the word that they have, that they're, they're going to do a different procedure and the, the uh, surgery was canceled to happen in another week or so. And so, because I was already planning to preach and of course, you know, we, we switched gears back and forth all week. It was just a crazy week. Um, so I'm going to be preaching at least the next two weeks, and um, you can certainly be praying for Shelly and John. It's quite a roller coaster of which I know what that's like, and so does some of you. Um, this morning, I am going to talk to you about a topic. I'm going to talk with you about a topic that we don't talk a lot about in our churches today, but it's something that is very real. It is something that affects each and every one of you. It is a problem, it's a problem that we have in America and frankly in our entire world. The problem has to do with this thing that we call truth. Truth. You all believe in truth, I'm sure. I don't have to convince you of this. If I was to define truth, there's a lot of different um, definitions. I will give you just one. The body of real things, events and facts, actuality. Truth is truth. It is verifiable. It never ceases to be truth. It is truth all the time. We call it, it's, it's, it's accepted as fact, if you will. If I was to give you a ridiculous illustration, I am 65 years old. I could tell you I'm 35 and you wouldn't believe that. I could tell you I'm 60, you might believe that, but it wouldn't change the fact that the truth is I'm 65. I'm married to Vivian. I have two daughters, Sharice, who is married to David, uh, Nikki, who is married to Zach, and between those two families, we have five granddaughters, Emma, Maddie, Riley, Ellie, and Katie. These are facts. It's absolutely true, whether someone thinks that or not. And these facts don't change regardless of what one says or thinks. You don't differ with that, do you? 
You agree with that, right? We as believers believe it is an absolute fact that Jesus Christ was a real person who walked this earth. He was born into this world. He was crucified on a cross and he raised from the dead to pay the price for our sins on the third day. At every funeral I do, I say this is an irrefutable fact. Whether one believes it or not, it can be proven. And in our country and our world today, we have come to the point where we deny this thing called truth. But it isn't new. You should know. I just think it's gotten much worse. I was hearing people talk about the concept of absolute truth not being a real thing anymore about over, well over 20 years ago when I was in youth ministry. Uh, I remember Josh McDowell did a whole thing on absolute truth. He did some surveys. Here's what he, here's what he said. He said, Josh McDowell said recently, this was way back, that most evangelical Christian youth in the United States no longer believe in absolute truth. In 1991, 52% of our born-again church kids said there is no absolute truth. In 1999, it went up to 78%, and in 2002, according to the surveys, 91% of people of youth did not believe in absolute truth. Now that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's not that ridiculous and it hits you and me every single day. If there is no truth, what happens is truth begins to be, truth becomes what we believe it to be. So there are multiple truths, if you will. And that is logically ridiculous, if you really think about it. A former pastor of ours said this, Common sense isn't so common anymore. A speaker that spoke here said, common sense doesn't make sense anymore. See, that's what happens when you start having people who believe different things. Another pastor that used to be in our church here years ago said, I have come to the conclusion that everyone can come to their own conclusion. That's a great statement because that's really how people live in this world today. But it isn't only just in the world. It has become a problem in our churches. Of course, as believers, we believe, as I said, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. We believe the Bible is the standard truth that we follow. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Many of us know it. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yet, it's crazy the things people who claim to know and love the Lord believe. It's crazy what people think about God. And somehow we've gotten to the point when this is what happens when we, when we stray away from truth Somehow God's people have come to the point of believing that God is okay with their immorality, their gossip, their backbiting, their divorce, their licentious nature, uh, lifestyle. Somehow they, they say he's good and he is, but that he's okay with all of that. They have changed the truth of what scripture teaches us. One can believe it's true that they love the Lord. One can say they love the Lord, but the scriptures reveal what is really true. 
John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and show myself to him. And this all goes on, folks. This all goes on because we are in a battle against God's enemies, against the enemy of God. And he's an evil enemy. If you would open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 8, verses 42 to 47. I'm going to read a portion. I'm going to read these scriptures to illustrate what I'm trying to get us to be thinking about this morning. Before we read the passage, which I will put on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles, is that, let me give you a, a, little, a little background of this passage. Jesus is addressing religious leaders. These, these are people who, in our, kind of our vernacular, the way we would say, these are people who have made a profession of faith. The leaders of the church, if you will. The godly leaders of the church. The people, the people that, that, or the leaders that people would look up to. We would call them believers. They ground, these leaders ground their argument with Jesus. They're challenging Jesus and they ground their argument in their ancestry. They claim to be the offspring of Abraham, although they don't really live like the offspring of Abraham. Jesus makes it clear, and you'll see it when we read, that they are deceived. Our God is interested in our spiritual descent rather than our physical ancestry. It does not matter, hear this, hear this. It does not matter how good a person's ancestors have been if he or she is walking in disobedience. Likewise, it does not matter how bad a person's ancestors have been if that person is renewed by God's spirit and walks in the way of faith and the way of obedience. These are people who think they are on the correct path. They're arguing with the Son of God. And Jesus exposes that what they believe to be true is in fact not true. They are deceived. And they are deceived by God's enemy, who we're going to talk about in a minute, the devil. This is what we would call spiritual warfare. Let's read the passage together. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 
There is so much in that passage, and I'm going to use it more as a jumping off point today. There's so much I could tell you about it, but I'll just say a couple of things. Clearly in this passage, you see the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of lies. You see that these leaders are following the wrong, they're in the wrong kingdom. And so we must understand that we, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth is what's so important for us to know and to live by. And any time we allow lies to come into our lives, we open ourselves up to the devil and his minions. Let me talk about the enemy of God for just a moment. Here he is called the devil. Elsewhere, he's called Satan, Lucifer. His names mean that he, help us to know that he is an accuser, he's a slanderer, he's an adversary, he's evil. And there is no truth in him. There are some things, I, I, we hesitate sometimes to talk about the devil because there's dangers in talking about the enemy of God. And it's really two different extremes. We as people, especially as God's people, have a tendency to live in these two extremes sometimes. Either we deny that the devil is real, in other words, we don't pay any attention to him at all, and that's dangerous because the scriptures spend a lot of time telling us about him and how to, how to uh, fight against him. And then the other extreme is we pay too much attention to him at all. We get so caught up in the supernatural and we get so caught up in, in the devil and demons and all of that that it becomes very dramatic and, 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 it, and that's dangerous as well. We see a demon around every corner, if you will. So let me tell you a little bit, though, with that said, let's talk a little bit first about the devil. You should understand that the devil is not God. He is a created angel. And I know most of you know this, but bear with me as I lay some foundation. He is a created angel, and he was God's most beautiful angel who opposed God in time past, and opposed God, wanted to become God, challenged God, and God kicked him out of his presence to roam this earth. He is a finite being. What's important to understand that is that he is limited he is limited by God, and when we pay too much attention to him, sometimes we give him way too much power than he really has. He does not have what we call the omnipowers of God. He is not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. All power belongs to God, and any power that he has is limited by God himself. He is not, he is not omnipresent. That's very important to understand. He cannot be, like God is everywhere present in the fullness of his being. There is no place that God is not. The devil is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. He can't be in multiple places. He is not omniscient like God. God knows all things. God knows what you're thinking even in this moment. The devil does not know your thoughts. He does not know what you're thinking. He does not know what you plan. He does not have that kind of power. Therefore, when one says they are being attacked by the devil or they are being attacked by Satan, that is likely not true. 
I use a ridiculous argument to say you being attacked by the devil himself is like running into our president in Walmart in Goshen. <laughs> the president is likely never going to be in Goshen. The president is likely never going to be in a Walmart and there is no Walmart in Goshen. <laughs> you get my point. So people often say how is it then that we get attacked? Well, when Satan stood against God, some other created angels stood with him. We call them fallen angels, and they were likewise booted out of the kingdom of God to the earth. And they are what we call demons who roam this earth. This is why I, just for clarity fact, when, I, when we talk about spiritual warfare, I say we might be under the attack of the evil ones. That's the terminology that I use. So I want to spend some time talking about the attack of the evil ones. Their primary weapon, the primary weapon of the evil one, you have already seen it. It is lying. It is lying. He is a liar, and the scriptures say there is no truth in him. You saw that in John 8, 42. Not only does it say there is no truth in him, it says that he is a liar and the father of all lies. Other passages say he looks to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give you life and give you life abundantly. He is referred to, these are all metaphors, as like a roaring lion roaming around the earth looking for someone to desire, I mean to, to devour, not desire, devour. And so the point being is he uses lies, he wants nothing good for you, nothing good for you. He wants to keep you from being all that God wants you to be. And the second weapon is really the same thing it's just the byproduct of the first, and that is deception. Deception. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about deception next week, so I hope you will come back. But in Revelation 20.10, he is called a deceiver. Now think, there's a couple of things about deception that you should understand. The definition of it, it is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. Just look at social media, folks. There's stuff propagated on social media as true that are oftentimes not true. That's the work that the evil ones want us to believe lies and they want to deceive us by giving us false information. And when you talk about deception, this is very important to understand. Because if you don't understand this next point, you are at risk. The truth of deception is that one who is deceived doesn't know it. Think about it. Deception, the truth of it, by definition, is if you are deceived, you don't know it. And I will just put in here right now, this is why the, key, the, the body of Christ and and being around other believers is so important. This is why it's so important to be in the Word of God and to be, to, to be filling our minds with truth, but because we need each other. If someone says 
And I'm going to tell you a story about someone in just a little bit. If someone says they cannot be deceived, they have already lost the battle. This is like a youth pastor that I was sitting with years ago. We were talking about some pastor who had fallen to immorality. He had committed adultery, and this youth pastor said to me, that will never happen to me. And I said, stop, do not say that. Because the minute you think you can't fall for something like that, that's the time you're most at risk. I don't think that pastor we were talking about walked out of the, his home one day, left his wife, maybe kissed her goodbye, and, or kissed her goodbye and said he'd see her later, and walked out the door and intended to commit adultery. It just doesn't work that way. It's a process. Deception is a process. It's little, little pulling away of the truth here and there. This is why we should, we should constantly be checking ourselves and saying, is this true? Just because you hear something from someone you think is reputable and you didn't observe it does not necessarily make it true. We ought to question everything. I looked up a couple, I found a couple of quotes from some folks that I didn't expect to get quotes from on this particular topic. The great theologian Leonardo da Vinci said the greatest, the greatest deception men suffer is from their own opinions. Napoleon Bonaparte, amazing the things you can find on the internet. Man loves the marvelous, he says. It, is, it has an irresistible charm for him. He is always ready to leave that with which he is familiar to pursue vain inventions. He lends himself to his own deception. So that's the primary weapons of the evil ones. Let's talk about the purpose of the evil ones. Now I'm just gonna give you two. I'm sure there are others, but these are the two that, that are pertinent. First off, they want to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. They want to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The evil ones do not want anyone to confess Jesus is Lord. And so they, they do use all their influence to try to keep people from hearing the message of Jesus Christ. They do not want them to be saved. They hate God, they hate everything that God is about, and they don't want anybody to love our Lord or to come into a relationship with him. That's, their, that's one of their primary purposes. Secondly, they want to keep believers from being used for the kingdom of God. They want to, once they have lost someone to the kingdom of God, they use their influence. And I know some of you are saying, how do they influence us? That's a sermon for another day. I will admit to you, I'm not totally sure. I have some ideas, but truth versus error is the key to it. They use everything they can the world, social media, each, they use us as people. They influence us because they want to destroy our witness. We spend so much time worrying about the things that we think we need and want. We spend so much time worrying about our jobs and all the stuff that, that looks important to us and we forget that the most important thing that we have as believers is our witness for him. 
Acts 1.8 says, when someone confesses Jesus as Lord, says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That is what God left us behind to do. And the evil ones want to keep you away from that because they do not want anyone to come into the kingdom of God and they do not want God to be able to use you for that. If they can violate, they can, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, they have lost you. But now what they want to do is make sure you don't play a role in anybody else coming to Jesus Christ. That's their purpose. And you must not... Don't devalue that. It's real. It goes on every moment of every day. There are three ways the evil ones attack people, two of which I'm going to mention. The third one we're going to spend the most time on next week. First off, they use false prophets or teachers. Matthew 7, 15 to 16 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. What is their fruits? Look what they're teaching. That's important. Matthew 24, verses 3 to 14, the heading of this particular passage, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's, it's, it, the heading is the signs of the end of the age in your scriptures. It says this, the disciples came to him, Jesus, privately, saying, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they, <clears throat> excuse me, and they will lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. I just want to tell you, and I realize coming from me, maybe it doesn't mean much, but you ought to be grateful that we have a pastor who teaches the Word of God, and you can test his words against scriptures, against the scriptures. He is a man of God, because there are many teachers out there that you have access to that do not teach the truth of God's Word. The second um, way they attack is through deceiving spirits. I've already talked about them just a little bit, and I'm going to tell you a story um, that will say more about this. First Peter, or sorry, First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. And then the last way they attack is through what we call self-deception. And this is the most dangerous of all because the scriptures clearly teach that we can be deceived, we can deceive ourselves. I'm going to share with you eight ways that we self-deceive next week. So I'll come back to that. I hope you'll come back next week. Let's talk about the battleground. It's very important to know this. It's important to note that the battleground isn't in the realm of the physical, the battleground is not in the realm of the physical. This is where all this dramatic stuff you see in TV and other places about people who kind of physically fight these things. You can't stand against the evil ones physically. 
And that's not where the battle happens. Ephesians 4.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The key battleground, folks, whether we want to admit it or not, happens right here in the mind. The mind is the key battleground. Listen to some of these passages. Mark 12, 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is why truth and lying are such big issues, because that all goes on what we believe in our mind. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Proverbs 4.23, I'm going to quote you the NIV version, um, but it says this, Above all else, guard the heart. Guard the heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we know in Hebrew thought that the heart is a reference to all of who we are. And all of who we are is made up of what we think in our mind. So we are to guard our mind is what it's saying. Second Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God by taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. We take every thought and we say, Is it true? Is it of the Lord? If it's not, we cast it away. Deception is a very, very real issue. And I want you to know that as believers, we are not inoculated from it. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, but we can fall into the trap of being deceived. I want to tell you a story from years ago Probably 35, 40 years ago, I was an elder on our, on our, in our church here at Grace Community Church. I'm not sure if anybody in our church is still here that was during that time, but I'm going to, uh, it was an elder meeting one night. I'm going to talk about this couple. I've changed their name. I'll call them Donnie and Debbie. I called them Danny and Debbie when I taught the college group and I saw a reaction and one of the college kids says, that's the name of my grandparents. <laughs> it's, it's not your grandparents. So I'm going to call them Donnie and Debbie. If you hear me say Danny and Debbie, I've just got my, my stories, my two stories mixed up. But Donnie and Debbie, they were very involved in our church. Sweet, godly people. You would, you would, you would like them. You would love them. They're like many of you. Donnie became an elder in our church. And... He was a very soft-spoken guy, very sweet guy. And I was caught off guard one night in an elder meeting. He stood up. I mean, we're sitting around these tables in the elder meeting, and he stood up and he went, men, just like that. And he, and he, and he gave this very stern discussion, I mean, uh, uh, kind of word to them, um, statement. He was, he was kind of disciplining them was the way it came off. I can't tell you exactly what he said because it made absolutely no sense to me. 
I just knew that he was trying to tell these elders something. And it seemed so disrespectful to me the way he did it. And so we got out into the, the, the meeting and did, I don't know, I think the chairman of the elder board probably said something like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and I mean, we just kind of went on, but it continued to, I mean, it just, it just bothered me. And we got out into the parking lot and he got to his car and I said, hey, Donnie, what just happened? What was that? What do you mean? He was a little evasive. I said, dude, you stood up and you spoke. He was one of the youngest guys like me. He was a young man on that board. And I said, you got up and you instructed those guys as if you had some kind of authority over them. And it, and it was, it, how do you even think you can do that? He hemmed and hawed and I kept pushing. And then he revealed to me, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. He had a, a dream, a vision, some kind of an appearance from an angel, he tells me. I was like, wow, that's weird. I mean, it, and I, I said, well, what did the angel look like? You know, I mean, someone tells you they see an angel, doesn't matter how they saw it, the dream, vision, or whatever, what did it look like? He said, it looked like you and me. Whoa. And then he went on to tell me that this angel gave him a message to give to the elders. A stern warning, he called it. And then I said, I said something and he said, well, Tim, I, I feel a little uncomfortable telling you this story because he said, the angel told me not to tell anybody about him. Okay, folks, right off, you know this is not an angel of God because God lives in the truth. There is no deception, secret, secrets like that. Right off, I was concerned. So I said, well, I got to think about this. I happened to be in school at Fresno Pacific at the time, talked to a couple of profs up there, told them what I was told. What do I do with this? And they said, well, first thing you need to do is tell the church, tell your pastor, tell those elders. And then what you need to do is you need to test the words of this angel. So I told our pastor, told our elders, told Donnie that he needed to tell the elders about this encounter and tell them what, he, what the angel had said to them. We got to the elder meeting and he was reluctant to do that because he said the angel again told him he's not supposed to tell the elders. I said, well, if it's an angel of God, you shouldn't be afraid of that. And so he ultimately told the, he made statements about what this being had said to him. And we wrote those, I remember writing those things down and he would use a passage in scripture and we'd write the passage down and we were open into the passage. And then he'd say what the passage say and we'd read the passage and are you sure that's right? Because it was totally, it was like ridiculously different. And ultimately we decided that this was not an angel of God. It was a deceiving spirit, if you will. The elders told him that he needed to refute this being and tell him to leave in the name of Jesus. By the way, the demons, the devil, shudder at the name of Jesus and they flee. That's the key weapon we have is 
the Jesus in the name of Jesus, not the Jesus, Jesus in the name of Jesus. Well, Donnie was unwilling to do that. He said he would initially, and then he decided not to. And so the elders removed him from the elder board. Donnie and Debbie, this sweet couple, left our church. I hadn't seen them for years. Just a few years ago, I ran into just talking with a gal, and turns out it was their daughter, and found out that Donnie and Debbie had walked away from the Lord. I'm not sure if that's changed at this point. They, had, they got a divorce, and the evil one got exactly what he wanted. He destroyed that family. We have to be careful, folks. Next week we will talk about self-deception, but let me say, let me say this to you. Don't be afraid. You know, the Bible says we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. I, I realize it's a risk. I've changed a little bit of my language because I'm not sure who's sitting here in this room. I worry about talking about this topic, for example, around little kids and things like that. I worry, of, you know, I don't want to scare them. But I want you to know that you do not have to be afraid because fear does not come from God. Fear comes from the evil one. And when you feel fear, I'll tell you what I do. If I feel fear, my prayer is, if there's any evil spirits here, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And then I turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I don't know if they're there or not. Who knows where they're at? But they observe us, they watch us, and they even appear to know what we're thinking because they've watched us for years. So be on guard, live by the truth, and I hope I haven't freaked you out too much, and I hope you'll come back next week. Let's stand together and pray. Well, Father, we understand that um, you are greater than any power in this, in this world. Greater is he that in, is in me than he that is in the world. And we take great comfort in that. Father, we are mindful of Shelley and John. Even last week when John taught that wonderful message in James and then said he had two more to follow, and he said, Lord willing, and Lord for some reason, um, you weren't willing in this particular case. And, of course, the surgery and all that went on happened there. And so, Lord, we have to believe that the message that you have for us this morning is what you have for us, and I pray that you would help us to ponder it and think about it. And, Lord, our desire is to serve you and honor you in all that we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. If you would like to talk to someone, we as pastors and leaders will be up here. God bless you. Have a great day.